Morning, church. Good to have you here today. Uh, as we get started, I do want to make uh, just a, a couple more brief announcements, uh, a couple more brief reminders. Uh, first off, I just wanted to say, uh, they didn't even ask me to hold the glass plaque. Uh, and I guess they, I mean, I guess ultimately they knew, uh, right? They knew that if somebody was going to drop it, uh, it was going to be me. Uh, but I was a little bit, you know, like, oh, man, they didn't even ask, you know? Uh, but Ted, please, uh, that, that's a wonderful thing. New life behavior is something that a lot of our missionaries around the world, uh, it's a lot of the curriculum that they use. So please take a look at that. Uh, and then also, if you're back there, uh, now, a copy of uh, Mike's announcement uh, will be back there. You can pick that up. And uh, John Mark uh, made up those little flyers for the Bible classes. And I'm really excited about the Bible classes. Uh, I want to be in both classes at the same time. Uh, I'm not a parent. Uh, I hope to be one someday. Uh, and I know that there's just going to be so much good stuff in that class. Uh, but I know that in the other class, uh, I'm really excited about the topic of uh, reading together through that book. And so uh, a lot of good stuff coming up here in the fall. I'm excited about it. Please uh, feel free to pick one of those up or uh, if it's in your bulletin, uh, take a look at that today. Well, we have been in the midst of a series uh, where we are talking about what it means to be good neighbors. And uh, this is a theme that uh, we find all throughout Scripture, but it's certainly a theme that we find in the teachings of Jesus. And so uh, over the past couple of weeks, we've uh, taken a stab at, uh, at reading some of these passages together and uh, being encouraged, being inspired uh, to do some work, uh, to be good neighbors, not only to one another here in this place, but also to our physical neighbors. And so we've been giving challenges and things like that throughout this series, and we're going to continue that series today. Uh, but really briefly, just a couple of things that we've talked about, because I think that it's really foundational uh, for what we've been doing. Uh, the last two weeks, you might have noticed, we've been kind of expanding the view of who a neighbor is. Uh, two weeks ago, John Mark preached about the story of the Good Samaritan, a great text, one of the best texts uh, in all of Jesus' teachings. And this text asks us to do the hard work of choosing the person that we least want to be our neighbor and being intentional about being a good neighbor to that person. Uh, it might be the person who uh, annoys you uh, the most. Uh, it might be the person uh, that lives at the end of your street and they've always got loud music playing. Uh, you, you know the neighbor that I'm talking about, right? Uh, it might be the neighbor uh, that, that you don't even know, uh, who maybe just moved in the, into the neighborhood and, and you might have a chance to go and meet them and spend some time getting to know them, or just even introducing yourself and letting them know that you're praying for them. Uh, it might be somebody uh, who you know from, from way back in your past. It might be somebody that you don't even know who lives hundreds of miles away. But in the story of the Good Samaritan, we are challenged and encouraged to expand our view that our neighbor is the person that we might least expect it to be. And then last week we talked about the story uh, where, where Jesus uh, uh, gives a teaching to, to his followers, his disciples, and he tells them uh, that whenever they welcome the stranger, whenever they provide for the needs of the person uh, who, who has needs, uh, whenever they, they go and visit somebody who's sick or in prison, that's the person that is our neighbor in that moment. But not only that, we also find out that not only are we being a good neighbor to somebody, but we're being a good neighbor to God. Uh, and so Jesus kind of turns it around on us and says, if you do that for, for the least of these kind of people, then you've done it for me. And Jesus is, is serious about this. He wants us to be good neighbors. He wants us to be uh, good worshipers. And so for us to, to see the image of God in each person is an opportunity for us to engage in worship of our God and our Savior. So over the past couple weeks, we've expanded the view. Uh, but today, we're going to kind of focus in. Uh, we're going to take a stab at, at looking at a text uh, where Jesus really calls us to do some difficult work. Uh, we're going to go from kind of the 30,000 foot view down uh, to under a microscope. Uh, when I was thinking about this, I thought, well, you know, when we're talking about being a good neighbor, you know, that's, uh, you know, it's probably not uncommon uh, for you to have heard that type of, of idea when it comes to Christianity. Uh, and, and when we say good neighbor, it might be easy to kind of skate by and be like, well, as long as I'm not a bad neighbor, 
As long as I'm not the neighbor who's got the music going on to all hours of the night, as long as I'm as considerate and kind, uh, then, then I'm, I'm, I'm being a good neighbor. But today, I think we're going to be challenged. Uh, I think that Jesus is going to draw our attention to some work that we probably all need to do, uh, myself included. And so as we get started today, I just want us to say a word of prayer that God will open our hearts, open our eyes, open our minds to what he has to say to us. So would you join me in praying? God, be with us today as we know that you always are. Allow us to be aware of your presence. Help us to see clearly and to understand all that you have called us to do and to be as good neighbors to those around us. Forgive us when we are selfish or when we fail to see the needs of the people around us. And God, please give us grace as we seek to follow you. Amen. All right, if you've got a Bible with you this morning, feel free to turn over with me. We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke uh, and, and in chapter 16. Uh, and we're going to read a, a, a lengthy story today, so I'm going to break it up into small pieces. But before we start reading this story, uh, I want to let you know of what comes right before this story. Uh, in Luke chapter 15 is the story where Jesus tells the parables uh, three in a row of, of something that is lost uh, and then that, that is found again. And so it, it concludes with the story of the lost son, the prodigal sons. Uh, hopefully it's a story that you've heard before, but it's a story where we learn something really important about who God is. We learn from God that this is a God who seeks us, who's always watching for us and wants us to return back home to him. And so we learn in that story who God is, and now we immediately transition into a story where God has just showed us what he cares most about. And now he's going to ask us, what is it that we care most about? <clears throat> not surprisingly, one of the things that, that Luke does throughout his whole gospel is uh, Luke's not a big fan of, of, of the wealthy, uh, of people who have a lot. Uh, Luke is a big fan of people who don't have much. Uh, and so Luke is going to show us what we care about. Uh, and he's going to do it specifically when we talk about money. And so he, he tells this story of a shrewd manager. Uh, this person who, who gets fired from his job as a manager, but uh, rather than, than trying to, to seek a favor from his former employer, he goes to the customers and he does favors for them so that he'll be in their good standing. And right on the heels of that, we're going to pick up reading uh, in verse 10 of chapter 16. This is uh, Jesus speaking at the end of that story. He says, whoever is faithful with little is also faithful with much. And the one who is dishonest with little is also dishonest with much. If you've not been faithful with worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? If you haven't been faithful with someone else's property, who will give you your own? No household servant can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be loyal to the one and have contempt for the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. So Jesus uh, believes that our actions, uh, that what we do, is a window into our hearts. That if we have little and we're faithful with it, then when we have much, that we'll be faithful with that too. And so Jesus believes that whatever we do, that's a window into who we truly are, into what we truly believe and what we truly do. And so he says at the end of this story, whoever has much, if you're not faithful with it, you won't have much in the kingdom to come. But if you don't have much and you are faithful with what little you have, you can expect much in the coming age. And he kind of turns the world on its head. Kind of turns our expectations on their head. And then right after that story, right after the story of the shrewd manager who, who uh, is faithful with little, uh, and, and, and the manager who apparently is not faithful with his much, he goes into another parable, another story, and he continues on, and let's uh, pick up in verse 19. He says, There was a certain rich man who clothed himself in purple and fine linen, and who feasted luxuriously every day. At his gate lay a certain poor man, and Lazarus, who was covered with sores. 
Lazarus longed to eat the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table, but instead, dogs would come and lick his sores. So right off the bat, Jesus shows us an example. He tells us a story of what he's just taught. Of the, of the things that he's trying to communicate, he, he tells us a story. He, he paints a picture for us. You've got this wealthy, rich man who has everything that he could ever need. He's feasting luxuriously. And you have this poor man sitting at his gate named Lazarus. And Lazarus longs to eat the crumbs from this man's table. But the image that Jesus uses is striking. And it's a little gross. Because he wants to catch our attention. He wants us to see and understand how gross the difference is between these two. Lazarus longs to have just the crumbs from the table. But instead, dogs come and lick his sores. Right after the teaching that he just given, it shouldn't surprise us uh, what comes next in the story. Jesus is trying to make a point here to a group of people, uh, the, the Pharisees, that he especially knows are in danger of loving money a little bit too much. And so he continues on in the story, and it happens just the way he's laid it out. Uh, let's continue reading here in verse 22. The poor man died and was carried by angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. While being tormented in the place of the dead, he looked up and saw Abraham at a distance, with Lazarus at his side, and he shouted, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Now it shouldn't surprise us to see what's going on here. It shouldn't surprise us uh, that the reversal that's just taken place. Jesus has laid it out for us. He showed us exactly what's coming in this story. The one who has much but isn't faithful with it can't expect much in the kingdom to come. But the one with little can expect much. And so their roles have been reversed in a surprising turn. The thing that should shock us in this story, the thing that should call, uh, bring our attention to it, is that these two people, Lazarus and the rich man, end up in two different places, yet they're not so separated that they can't see one another. The rich man looks up and sees Lazarus seated with Abraham, seated with one that in the book of Hebrews we come to know as, as the father of faith, one of the most faithful people in Scripture. And Lazarus is seated at his side, and, and in the text that we're about to read, as we continue on, uh, the rich man calls out for mercy. Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Let's continue reading there in verse 24. It says, He shouted, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and to cool my tongue because I'm suffering in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received good things, whereas Lazarus received terrible things. Now Lazarus is being comforted, you are in great pain. Moreover, a great crevice has been fixed between us and you. Those who wish to cross over from one from here to you cannot. Neither can anyone cross from there to us. So there's this distance that's been placed between a crevice. But it's not so large that they can't see one another. And they can't call out to one another. Now, of course, the point of this passage is not to tell us uh, what it's going to look like in the age to come. The point of this passage isn't to say uh, that, that uh, heaven and hell are separated by, by a great crevice and we'll be able to see one another. That's not the point Jesus is making here. Instead, he wants us to understand right now what it will look like for those in two very different situations in the age to come. He's calling our, atten our attention not to the literal distance between them in the age to come, but between the distance between them here and now. 
At the beginning of the story, we know that, that this rich man and Lazarus, that they're neighbors to one another. Lazarus sits at the gate, longing, desiring, begging for just a crumb. And the rich man can't see. In the age to come, when the roles have been reversed, when Jesus, his kingdom has been inaugurated, and what we come to see in his teaching comes true in a full and complete way. The rich man calls out, Father, have mercy. He seeks the thing that he was unwilling to give. He seeks the thing that he didn't even consider during his own life. He seeks what he's not had his eyes open to that others need right here and now. The truth is, when we read this story, when we apply it to ourselves, it gets a little uncomfortable. At least it does for me. Because for most of human history, in fact for all of human history, and for us right now, if we were to place ourselves in this story, chances are we place ourselves in the role of the rich man. People in our place in, in our time in history are some of the wealthiest, most blessed people. And so it's difficult for me to read this passage before you all today. It's a shocking passage where Jesus asks us to truly consider what position we hold and what we're doing with that position. Are we opening our eyes to the people who are sitting at our gates, who have needs, who have desires and longings, or are we just walking past them, unable to see or unwilling to help? I think this passage, what Jesus is doing here, he asks us to do several things as a result of reading this passage. Uh, I've picked out four to share with you today. Uh, by no means are these the only four things that Jesus is asking us to do. But today I think they will suffice as we work to be good neighbors for the people in our world. The first thing that Jesus asks us to do is to simply open our eyes. To see with Jesus' eyes. To, to ask God to open our eyes for us. To the needs of the people that are around us. The rich man apparently walks past Lazarus continuously. Consistently. And he, he doesn't have eyes to see. So Jesus asks us in our place and our time right now to open our eyes to the needs of the people around us. They might not be as stark as this difference, and yet there are people that we know in this room who have needs, who have desires and longings, and perhaps we can open our eyes to their needs. There are people in our neighborhoods who have needs, and we can open our eyes to see their needs as well. The second thing that Jesus asks us to do is he asks us to realize that our needs aren't so different from one another, after all. And I want to be a little bit careful here because I know that there are vastly different needs. Uh, the need for someone to have a roof over their head is not uh, the same need as somebody who needs immediate medical attention. I'm not suggesting that those are the same. But what I am suggesting is that the rich man and Lazarus both wanted food, wanted drink, wanted community. At the beginning of the story, it says the rich man feasted luxuriously. But Lazarus longed just for a crumb. Their needs weren't so very different from one another. And so once we open our eyes, we begin to realize that, that we have a lot in common with the people around us. 
That although we might be in situations, although uh, we might have immediate needs that, that look different, we can see in one another the same need for what God has given us. The same need for God, perhaps. Number three. After we open our eyes and after we begin to recognize that our needs are not so very different, we need to learn to have mercy. We need to learn to have mercy. Lazarus asks, or I'm sorry, the rich man asks for, for mercy. Father, have mercy. And yet he was unwilling to give it in his own life. He was unwilling to open his eyes and see that there were others around him who needed mercy. And so we can begin to have, learn to have mercy for one another and for our neighbors. Not only that, but in just a few chapters, we see the purest example of someone who sought mercy for those who didn't deserve it. Because as Jesus tells the story, he's just a few chapters away from his own sacrifice, from his own death. And when he is going to the cross, he calls out and asks, Father, have mercy, for they don't know what to do. Jesus asks us to learn to have mercy for one another. And last, he asks us to listen for God's leading. Let's finish this story with the last uh, few verses here, starting at verse 27. It says, The rich man said, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers, and he needs to warn them so that they don't come to this place of agony. And Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They must listen to them. And the rich man said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will change their hearts and lives. And Abraham said, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, then neither will they be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. The way Jesus finishes the story is, is actually quite brilliant. Because he's not only encouraging us uh, to listen for God's leading, but he's actually giving a, a symbolic lesson of what's to come for him. Because in just a few chapters, as Jesus goes to the cross and as he asks for mercy for others, <coughs> Jesus is going to die. And yet we know that the story is not finished there. The tomb is empty and that Jesus is resurrected. And yet Jesus knows that if you don't believe the words that God has already given to you through Moses, the prophets, through the words of Scripture, through the saints who have shared it with you, then you won't even believe when Jesus rises from the dead. It's a brilliant move to tell the story this way because Jesus is telling his own story. He wants us to believe. He wants us to know who he truly is. And yet if we continue to ask for proof and for signs, they'll never be enough. Instead, he's encouraged us to listen for God's leading through scripture, through one another. All of this, I think, can be summed up in one simple word. Sacrifice. I think this is the point of the passage, and I hope it's the point that we take to heart today. Because ultimately, this is what Jesus is going to do for us as he goes to the cross, and as he asks for mercy, and as he shows us that we can listen to God's leading and trust in God. Jesus is sacrificing for us. As Gordon read from that passage in Philippians chapter 2, Jesus sacrifices his position and his place. To become like us. And not only does he sacrifice that, but he sacrifices his very life. So that we might have one too. I think that what Jesus is asking us to do 
when it comes to being good neighbors to one another, is to be willing to sacrifice for each other. Be willing to see each other's needs and be willing to place them above our own. To be willing to see one another. To recognize the needs that we have. And whether it's a, a more urgent need or not, to choose to place one another above ourselves. And so that's our challenge for this week. Every week we've shared with you a challenge, a way that you can participate in being a good neighbor. And I hope it's something that has encouraged you or challenged you and given you an opportunity maybe to step out of your comfort zone. The first week we simply ask you to be physically present with, with a neighbor. To spend a moment uh, introducing yourself or maybe you already know them and you just want to have a conversation. The second week we ask you to maybe be intentional about the physical places that you can be a good neighbor. Maybe it's your front porch. Maybe it's that Amazon package that we joked about last week. But to be uh, intentional with a physical place. And this week, our challenge is to sacrifice for a neighbor. To seek a need that they might have and to try and fill it. Not because we're so good and not because we have all the answers, but simply because we see the presence of God in them. And we want to follow the lead and example of Jesus. So that's our challenge for the week, is to find a way to sacrifice I can't tell you exactly what that looks like. I can give you a couple ideas. But I hope that you'll be praying and asking God to show you a way to do that this week. Maybe within this body right now, you can find a way to sacrifice for one another. Maybe, it's, uh, maybe it looks like coming and serving with us at Main Street Church of Christ next week. Picking up a, a pan and cooking some casseroles. Maybe it looks like uh, finding somebody who's, who's a member of this church but hasn't been able to get out of their house because of a medical reason, and going and visiting with them. And I know that we have a number of wonderful people who do, who do that regularly here. I'd encourage you to continue, and maybe invite someone to come along with you this time. Maybe it looks like uh, asking the widow that you know in the church if you can go with them to their next doctor's appointment so that they don't have to sit in the waiting room alone. Maybe God has put something else on your heart today. I pray that we would be open to the leading of God in our lives. That we would be willing to sacrifice. That we would be willing to have eyes to see what God is doing in this place and all around us. And most of all, that we would obey. Become good neighbors, just like Jesus was. This morning, if you'd like the prayers of God, men and women, our shepherds are going to gather around the room, our elders and their wives, and we invite you to come and spend some time praying with them. This morning, if you would like to join this movement, join this faith, become a part of Jesus' followers through baptism. I invite you to come and spend some time with me. Let's do that as we stand and worship together.